Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand, Suzanne, that had an impact on you as a child? Mm, Tylenol, because I saw the horrible scandal that they went through. (laughs) What kind of impact did that have on you? Um, Just realizing that you have to be prepared for anything and, again, realizing that you have to quickly pivot to adjust to what your consumer needs. You have to pay attention to what's going on. And uh, there's just there's no passing the buck. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it. And the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Suzanne Fanning, the senior vice president of Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin and chief marketing officer of Wisconsin Cheese. For background, the Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin is a nonprofit organization established in 1983, funded by the state's dairy farmers to promote their products. And I know what you may be thinking. This is some sleepy trade association, but think again. Wisconsin Dairy is a 45 billion, that's with a B, business and growing. Their marketing is creative and effective, winning awards and growing their category. So what can you learn from a woman who runs marketing for a gigantic category in the U.S. state of Wisconsin? Lots. So slice a bit of Wisconsin's sharp cheddar and prepare to take some notes. This is my conversation with Suzanne Fenn. Suzanne, welcome to the CMO Podcast. And I must admit, this is a new one for us. You are the first guest who is the CMO of a category and a place. And of course, that is Wisconsin, and that is dairy and cheese. I want you to describe right up front your job, how you describe it to someone who is not familiar with marketing and branding in a sentence or two. Sure. I will try very hard to limit it to a sentence or two, but no promises. Uh, We are a little bit different because we are part of a checkoff organization, which means for every hundred pounds of milk that's sold, 10 cents comes to our organization. Now, you know that dairy farmers are really busy. They have a lot of work to do over the course of the day, and they don't have time to market their milk. And so that's what we're here to do. We're here to find homes for all of that milk that is produced in our state. 
as it happens in Wisconsin, 90% of the milk that's produced goes into making cheese. And so that is why I spent all of my time talking about cheese. Well, we're going to get into that right up front. And this is going to be a very helpful piece of advice you're going to share during this pandemic. If I came to your house tonight for a glass of wine and a cheese board, I would like you to tell our listeners, and we'd be six feet apart, of course, what, what would be on your cheese board? Well, you know, I believe that a really good cheese board takes your guests on an incredible adventure of tastes and textures and smells. And so there would be a wide variety of cheeses on my board. And if you saw my my drawer, you would know what I consider essential rations for any kind of national pandemic, global pandemic. It would be a drawer full of cheese. So I would have something that was like really, really bright and unique, like Red Rock by Chris Raleigh. It's an incredible cheese. It has double lanato, so it's twice as orange as most cheese, and it has a beautiful blue vein running through it. So that would definitely be one that I'd have. I'd have something a little bit softer. I'd have some Rush Creek Reserve because that's wonderful and ooey and gooey, and you can dip into it, and it's something super decadent that you can get from Uplands. So that would definitely be something I'd have. I'd have probably something from Sartori because they make these incredible cheeses where the wheels are like so soaked in wine or rubbed with black pepper or espresso, there's always something really, really unique and different. So you definitely would see a little slice of something there from me. So, and then it would also be filled with a variety of nuts and fruits and chocolates and things that make you want to eat more cheese. I wish we were doing this in person. (laughs) And I would have definitely brought a cheese board. I never travel without it. I can't go to anybody's house without, they never say like, what are you going to bring? They say, you're bringing the cheese. So now I just bring cheese and something else. It's just a given. Now, before you were in this amazing role, did you love cheese? I did love cheese. I love all kinds of food. I am a very creative person and I feel like food is a way that you can express yourself. Sewing is a way you can express yourself. There are all kinds of different ways. Home decorating. My husband wishes that I was not a chronic redecorator, but I truly am. The foodie thing, he appreciates though. Are you a sewer too? I am a huge, yes, I love to sew. I make all my own curtains. I uh, make all kinds of clothes. I used to dress the kids in little crazy matching outfits when they were little. They still haven't forgiven me for that. But yes, it's all true. You're a maker. You're a total maker. I am a total maker. My wife's an extreme sewer too. Oh, nice. She loves it. She's happiest when she's sewing, working with her hands. Yeah, me too. Especially sewing. I feel like it's therapy. It's, yeah, it's a wonderful creative outlet. And I think for me, particularly when the kids were young, we live in a world where nothing is ever done, right? You do the dishes and immediately there are more dishes. You do the laundry and immediately there's more laundry. But I would think when I would sew something, I could hang it up and I could say, look at that, it's done. (laughs) So that's why it probably like helps my mental state. Fantastic. Now, I want you, do you have a favorite cheese story before we jump into this podcast about cheese and yourself or cheese and a part? Just a, is there a go-to story you tell about cheese? Well, yeah. I mean, cheese. probably about 10 of them or a hundred of them. (laughs) There are so many, but I mean, I will say the one thing that people ask me about probably more than anything else um, is, is the fact that cheese helped me do something I have never done in my entire career. And that is break a Guinness world record. 
And so like, who knew? When I, when I first started working for Wisconsin Cheese, we had many challenges ahead of us. One of them was letting the world know that we were more than giant blocks of cheddar. I mean, in fact, Wisconsin makes like half of the specialty cheese in the entire country. So um, it's a big deal. And we wanted to get that word out there. So we decided we would create this gigantic cheese board. And uh, eventually there were a few iterations of it. And eventually we decided to officially invite the Guinness World Records folks to come. We did it in front of about 40,000 people because all of the cheese has to be consumed when you break a Guinness World Record. Don't know how many people know that. But um, so we had a lot of happy people in Wisconsin. We broke it. One for the record books for sure. How much cheese in pounds or however you over four thousand pounds of cheese. It was so much. It was the world's largest cheese board. It was pretty incredible. Did you do this like at Wisconsin Stadium or where did you do it? The first time that we did it, we did it at South by Southwest. And in that particular ah. instance, we created the world's longest cheese board because we wanted to have a nice long line for, for people to walk through. Um, and then that's when people started saying, but is this official? Like, is it really, really, really? And I was like, well, no, it's not officially. Like we looked it up, it's the longest. But then we had so many inquiries that we said, darn it, we're just going to do that. We're going to break that world record. And um, so it's it's not an easy feat, I will tell you that. Um, but it was it was definitely worth it. Got a lot of media attention, landed us on Late Night with Seth Meyers. And certainly, if we wanted to announce ourselves to the world and show these 600 different varieties of cheese that you can get in Wisconsin and show how excited people were to eat it. Like that's that's the ticket, right? It's not about the product, it's about how much the people love it. Um, this was an amazing way to showcase it. Were you serving a lot of wine and beer there as well? There was a, a beer truck very close to us, yes. We were not serving wine directly in it. At South by Southwest, we did serve wine though. Yes, that's a good place to have alcohol. Now we're going to get into creativity and cheese in a few minutes, but I wanna sort of back up to the question I asked you at the start of this podcast about what you really do. And I want to go down into that a bit more. You're the senior VP of a $45 billion business. That's bigger than the Coca-Cola company and about the size of AB InBev, the largest beer company in the world, and Cisco, a big tech company. So what do you do? Describe your job to us as CMO of Wisconsin Cheese and senior VP of Wisconsin Dairy. It's an unusual job. As I said, it's the first one we've had on the podcast where you're marketing a category in a place. So tell us about your job. What is the work? If you had to put it into a pie chart, what would those pieces of pie be? Well, for us, we look at it really as a brand. And I think that's been the huge transformation. The CEO who came in about three and a half to four years ago, I had worked with in a prior life. And so he immediately brought me in. I started just a few weeks after he did. And we decided that we really did want to build it like a brand. We didn't want people to view it as this huge commodity type of a, of a thing. We wanted it to be a premium brand. And that's what we have worked on ever since I've been there. So now we've got our own logo. It's on almost all of the cheeses that come out of the state. We have developed commercials. We have a huge social following. We've got brand ambassadors. We are, we're on the first page of Google. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. So yeah, so it's really, 
I would, I think probably the closest thing that people would understand is if you think about what wine used to be in California. So back in like the 70s, if you were going to get great wine, you would get it from France, right? California just wasn't even counted, but now it's wine country. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to take this Wisconsin cheese brand from mass to class. And for people, like I said, to stop thinking about giant blocks of cheddar, which is what our research showed us that people thought about when they thought of Wisconsin, um, and trying to make sure that they're thinking of the most award-winning cheese in the world, which is the reality. Wisconsin wins more awards than any other state or country. So when you think about the other CMOs we've had on the podcast, and you know, I know you've listened to several episodes, you know, we've had J.P. Morgan Chase, we've had Kroger, We've had, you know, SAP, Adobe, many, many, many others. How is your job similar or different from those, if you will, more traditional CMOs? I would say that my job is very similar, but in addition to having the weight of an organization potentially on my shoulders, I feel the weight of the entire state because it is such a huge industry. And we always say that dairy isn't something we do in Wisconsin. Dairy is Wisconsin. I mean, it is it is our birthright. We've been making cheese here since before we were even a state. And so we worry all the time about the dairy farmers and making sure that we keep that milk flowing and we keep that milk moving. It's wonderful for us because cheese cheese is about a 10 to 1 ratio with milk. So 10 times the amount of milk goes into the cheese and cheese keeps. I mean, cheese keeps for a long time. In fact, we just released a cheese that is 20 years old. So um, it's a great it's a great way to utilize all the milk that's here in our state. So what's that 20 year old cheese like? It is fantastic and it's hard to get and it's quite pricey, but um, totally worth it. And I think that's just another one of those things. I love talkable elements. Um, I'm always looking for those little nuggets. And certainly that's something that if you're a foodie, you want to be able to talk about the fact that you tried that 20 year cheddar from Hooks. But that's a big investment. I mean, it's also great to do at a party to say, what were you doing 20 years ago? How different is your life than it was 20 years ago? And that's how long this cheese has been aging. It's just one of those stories of obsession. And I think that's when you talk about like sort of the brand traits we're trying to get across, it's obsession. Everybody in the state is totally obsessed with making the best cheese in the world. And that's a fun story to tell. So you've been here coming on four years and you've been a year and a half as CMO of Wisconsin Cheese. So tell me about, tell me about this time you've been there. What, how is the organization different because you have come in in this role. I knew you talked about elevating it, making it a brand, you know, uh, ele- you know, making it more premium. But tell me before and after, what is different about how Wisconsin cheese and Wisconsin dairy is seen since you have been there? Well, one thing that we've definitely tried to do is, and this, and I'm huge about this, is is really making it about the people and making it about the fans. Because I don't think, no matter what kind of great advertising that we have, it really comes down to what people think of us. And so I think we've shifted it a little bit that way. So it's not just blurting advertising messages at people. It's understanding them. It's, well, before the global pandemic, it was about actually meeting them and sharing the cheese and finding ways to connect with them. And I think that's probably one of the things that I am most proud of that we've been able 
able to do with this organization is make it more about the people. We have ambassadors in all 50 states now. We were in the midst of having cheese parties in all 50 states. Consumers were sharing our cheeses in their homes with their friends because that's the best way to experience it. And that is certainly what the cheesemakers want more than anything is for their cheese to be enjoyed with friends and, and contribute to entertaining. When COVID hit, that was a huge piece that we lost was that sort of socialization and all of and we took a step back because we didn't want to get in the way of everything that was happening and then we realized there was just a huge need for people to still connect and still be as normal as possible and if they love cheese they still wanted to talk about it so we started throwing these incredible online virtual cheese parties that have just had people over the moon and that's been you know, one of the most interesting findings that we have had is that we're able to connect in this way. And it's certainly something that we plan to continue even after this is all over because they just love being connected that way. Meeting our cheesemakers, going on a virtual cheesecation across the state. It's been a um, pretty incredible journey. Suzanne, uh, tell me other things that have changed since the pandemic hit. You know, you're working from home, I assume, but tell me, you know, how life is different for you, your team, your category, you know, your farmers, your cheesemakers. Tell us a bit about the pandemic and, and you and your organization and your job and your state. Well, now starting with the dairy farmers, they are still in the barns just as much as they ever were. I mean, they are out there and they're working really hard, which is what inspires us to work so hard for them just to make sure that we're doing what we need to do. Um, there are a lot of things that changed. Starting with just content, for instance, we do plan our content out a year ahead. So all of the recipes, all of the pictures, everything that's going on social, everything that's going into stores, it's all planned out a year ahead. And so summer and spring was all about entertaining and gathering and picnics and taking side dishes. And so all of a sudden we had, we went, man, we, we don't have any content that is appropriate in this world. There's no way that we can share something like this. And there's no way that we can just stay quiet. And so we quickly revamped all of our efforts. We pulled old recipes. We started releasing a recipe a day because people were consuming recipes like nobody's business. We really hadn't focused a lot on e-commerce, just given the nature of our business. But all of a sudden, we wanted people to be able to find the cheeses that they wanted to have. So we put together an e-commerce page, which in a month was viewed more than 100,000 times. And a lot of cheesemakers are reporting record sales. So that's been pretty incredible. We realized that people were focused on live content. So we found new ways to create content on the fly and tap some different people. In fact, my marketing team actually came to me. My, my situation is, is probably somewhat unique in that I have three children who are in their 20s. And when all of this hit, all three of them decided to move back into our house. And so I, I like to think it's because I'm the world's most wonderful mom and they wanted to be near me, but I think it's because they get three meals a day and free laundry service. So just, I'll say that. And lots, of, and lots of cheese. Lots of cheese. Definitely that. Um, but it's been amazing for me. It's been like a, it's been like a do-over. It's just like we've reverted back to elementary school days because they're all sitting at the dinner table. When I put the food out there, we have family game nights, we have movie nights, we have campfires and picnics in the backyard. It's been, it's actually been quite incredible, but 
I diverge. So when it no, comes, no, it sounds to, great. Yeah, I mean, good for them. Good for you. It sounds wonderful. It it really has been. It really has been quite nice. That that part of it. So, what's the most the most interesting and fun ritual you have with the kids now that they're home? Is it the fire? You know, they building a fire at night, or is it board games, or what? What has been an interesting, or has it shifted? Well, uh, if I'm going to be honest, I probably shouldn't say this because it doesn't reflect that well on me. But I will say that one of the most interesting things is the uh, signature cocktails that we're all making. <laughs> we, well, we didn't do that in elementary school, you know, but now they're they're all coming up with these fun signature cocktails. My son was whipping up grasshoppers the other night. We're into our cosmopolitans and just all kinds of fun and funky things. So we do all um, have a lot of fun doing that. But my middle son and I have been doing a Facebook Live series for Wisconsin Cheese because the marketing team came to me and they said, hey, we've been brainstorming what kind of live content we should do when we put together the profile of what people are looking for. And we want somebody who's, you know, cooking at home and sharing with kids and still entertaining and embracing all of this. And they're like, we want you. Would you consider doing a Facebook Live? <laughs> so I talked to the family. I was like, how do you feel about just opening our doors to the world? And they were they were okay with it. So basically, my middle son and I are the host of it. All of the other family members make little cameos, but it's been interesting. And we actually broke our record for live video views last week. So I'm going to tune in. Do it. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Last week, the one where we broke, we had promised earlier in the week that we would show them how to grill these great hamburgers for, well, cheeseburgers for uh, Memorial Day. And we had all these different recipes. And then, of course, right before we were getting ready to do the Facebook Live, it started pouring rain. So we were like, well, we could move it into the kitchen, but we promised a cookout. So we threw on our rain gear and my son and I sat outside in the pouring rain and, and made burgers. <laughs> and uh, People loved it. They loved it. So... That's just goes to show that sometimes don't worry about what you plan for. Just deal with what you have. So tell me what else you've learned about yourself as a leader and about your team as you've gone through this. I mean, it sounds like you're highly engaged. Your team is highly engaged. You pivoted quickly. You're being very creative. You're being very human, inviting people into your home to learn about cheese and your family. So tell me what you've learned as a leader and what kind of habits and rituals you might carry forward coming out of this time. Absolutely. Well, I've learned communication is extremely important. I mean, it's not like we all didn't know that before, but um, just because they had a very clear idea of what they were supposed to do and because we're continuing to come together in our big group meetings and in our small group meetings, because we had a very clear strategy. And I will say that although our tactics have pivoted some, we have stayed very true to what our strategy is and what our core, core purpose is. We just had to be really quick about having new ways to get it done. And so I think it's really important that we had that foundation. I think we've all learned that flexibility is the key to everything. I mean, we've had to be more flexible than we've ever had to be before. And that flexibility has led to just insane amounts of innovation. And I have been so, so proud of the team and the ideas that they have come up with and how quickly they have been able to pitch new ideas. 
Um, it's been it's been really amazing. Uh, one really neat example is we have really talked about the dairy farmers a lot more just because of the situation that they're in. And we want consumers to realize, to support, to buy local and all of that. We reached out to a lot of celebrities and we said, hey, would you mind giving a nod to dairy farmers and cheesemakers and just let everybody know that, you know, they're here and they need your support? The the uh, outcome was just quite amazing. It was kicked off by Luke Bryan. So he starts talking about dairy farmers. He had been here for a concert last summer. And so he kicked it off by talking about it. We had Mason Crosby, who is a kicker for the Green Bay Packers. We had Charlie Barons. I don't know if you've ever seen the Manitowoc Minute, but if you haven't, definitely worth a view. Uh, we had some politicians. We had other musicians. We had some famous athletes from our state and put together this incredible PSA that has really helped rally the, the state together. Um, so, so that part of it's been kind of nice. We produce signs. Grocery stores have them up. Uh, we created an entire Here For You campaign, and we did. Uh, we were able to get some great advertising deals because a lot of bigger companies had advertising that was just not appropriate for the situation. And we were very quickly able to put together some stuff with footage that we had collected over the past couple of years and, and create stuff. So we've had more advertising than we've ever had before. So... Um, lots of different things have happened. Um, some good, some bad, but I think we, we're all stronger because of it. How is your category through this time? Is it stronger, about the same, weaker? I mean, I know premise business has you know, been slow, but I suspect your at-home business is going crazy. Exactly. So yeah, a lot. In fact, it was so much so that it was almost a problem because grocery stores were completely out of milk and dairy. They're replacing limits and um, nobody wanted to see that. Everybody wanted to see milk flying off the shelves. So um, it's it's been interesting to watch. And it does look like that grocery store shopping now is starting to level off. But um, one thing that was kind of interesting is that when times got hard for people. They wanted to return to real. So you see a lot of stuff about, you know, some alternative meats and alternative dairy and all of that. But what they were after was not that when it came down to a crisis, they wanted to feel just like they did when they were kids and they were at home and they wanted whole milk and real cheese. And um, it was a quite an interesting phenomenon for us. And to see how many people just talked about that and rallied around it was quite heartwarming. I'm eating more ice cream and cookies, so I'm... Thank you for your service. <laughs> Everyone's returning to comfort food, right? And I'm baking. I'm baking way more than I have in decades. That's right. That's right. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well... You switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. So listen, you referred in a, a moment ago to your purpose and your strategy, and I want you to wind the clock back a bit. You had a big restage in 2018, and you were new in the job as CMO at the time, I believe. And so you 
you did your first ever ad campaign. So it was a real kind of a, you know, classic rebrand. And I want you to talk, talk to our listeners a bit about that. So many of us go through brand restages. And sometimes they're thought out well, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're effective, sometimes they're not. So if you could walk us through why you did it, what was the catalyst, what was the business need, you know, what was your purpose, what were your strategies, how, how did you enlist everyone in it? Because you know, unlike a lot of CMOs, you have a lot of bosses. You know, the dairy farmers are thousands strong, and no one cares more than them. So I'd just like you to take us through you know, how you thought about that brand restage going back about two years. And take us forward as well in how you feel it's working. Okay, absolutely. And I think I mentioned this a little bit at the start, but we started with consumer research, which is, of course, what everyone has to do. We wanted to find out what consumers thought about our brand. We wanted, obviously, them to know us for cheese. And man, the good news was that, yeah, they thought about us when it, when it came to cheese, but they did not think of us as great cheese. They use words like ordinary and everyday and nothing special. And when they looked at some imported cheeses, they talked about great for entertaining, elegant, you know, exquisite and things like that. And so we said, you know, it's, it's first of all, not true. Because Wisconsin's cheeses, like I said, win more awards than any other state or country. So it's a big deal. And we make about half of the specialty cheese in the country. So we just wanted to tell our truth. We also knew that it couldn't just be about the cheese. Um, as, as a lot of, when you want to pull emotion in, it can't necessarily be about just a product. And so we knew that while we were telling the stories of quality and innovation and our culture, that it was really, really important to wrap it all in Wisconsin. And what does cheese mean in Wisconsin? And what does it mean when you get cheese from Wisconsin? So um, that is really what we kind of built everything on to tell the stories, not only of the products, but of the cheese makers and of the people and of the people who just love to eat cheese. So it was inviting a lot more people into the party who had ever been at the party before. And that extends well beyond any ad campaign. When we, we can talk about the ad campaign, but it, it just goes so much further than that. Um, the first ad that we launched to tell the story was um, a huge table. I don't even know how many feet long it is, probably about 50 feet long that we put in the middle of a beautiful field. And we had cheesemakers walking over the hill, all carrying their giant wheels of cheese that they made. They were real cheesemakers and they were real wheels of cheese. And they walked through the field and they placed them proudly on the table. They stood behind the table and then they threw their hats, their cheese making hats up in the air in like celebration. And then we unfurled the, the logo um, in an aerial shot. And so that was kind of how we told the story of our cheesemakers and our beautiful cheeses and, and, the, and the variety of cheeses that we had. Um, and it was, it was quite successful for us. People loved it. They really responded. That video has been viewed more than 10 million times now. I watched it last night. It's beautiful. Oh, fantastic. Did I describe it accurately? Yeah, absolutely. It's like I was there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It's fantastic. Now tell me, how do you... How do you measure the effectiveness? You've been about two years into it. Is it 
you measure it like classic brands, like your brand equity has moved from here to there, or do you measure it on business results, the amount of cheese you're selling, or category health? So what are the what are your KPIs? All of the above, for sure. Yeah. Um, and so and one of the big ones too is just like share of voice. And so we take a look at like when people are talking about cheese and the universe of cheese, and they really do talk about it quite a lot. How many are talking about Wisconsin cheese versus any other kind? Um, and then we also take a look at the sentiment. So again, if they're calling it ordinary, everyday, normal, you know, that's not what we like. And so in order to kind of change those adjectives that people were using, that's how we decided to start our own brand ambassador program. So we created a, a place called Cheeselandia, which you can be transported to just by eating a piece of Wisconsin cheese, no matter where you are. There are people all over the country, all over the world who are like insane Wisconsin fans. I mean, this state has so much pride. And once you've been here and you've, you've either lived here and, and cheese has been a part of your life. And so you carry that as your identity when you move to another state or you've traveled through and you've had this vacation and you go, holy moly, I got a world championship cheese at a gas station in Wisconsin because that's how crazy they are about cheese. And so you remember those experiences uh, forever. And so we had all these fans around and we just weren't doing enough to harness the power of them. And so we took a little bit of a different route than I think a lot of brands are today. A lot of brands look for influencers and they look for people who have hundreds of thousands of fans and they pay them money and and they say promote this particular product and we said well we're not going to do that because our cheese is so fantastic we're just going to unite all these people who already love it and we're going to equip them with whatever they need whatever knowledge if they want to meet cheesemakers online or at events if they want to taste cheeses if they want to share cheeses we're going to give them whatever they need to share how they feel about Wisconsin. And that's what we've been working on for about two years. And it's been huge for us. So because they are having these cheese parties, all the guests are saying, holy wow, I'm at this party, Wisconsin's and all this cheese. I have never tasted anything like it. Who knew? I had no idea that Wisconsin had cheese this good. And it is exquisite and elevated and the best tasting and excellent and all of the adjectives that we wanted them to use. We couldn't have written the script better ourselves. So Suzanne, how did you find these ambassadors that were so natural and authentic? You know, I think the, the, the age of these paid influencers, I believe, is over. Let's hope so. People are seeing through that. So how did you find these authentic people who believed in your, you know, your state, your product, your brand? What could others learn from you? Well, we looked for a few different traits. First of all, we went out and we were kind of, we were a little bit quiet about what we were doing. We just said, hey, are you the ultimate cheese lover? Do you know the ultimate cheese lover? Maybe you want to do this. And we didn't tell them anything that it was. So it was kind of like a tease. Did you use social channels to do this? We use social channels and we use word of mouth and yeah, all of that. So, but to places where cheese lovers naturally congregate. So, and, and, and foodies, foodies. And so uh, we kind of had like a little teaser ad and then they would write back to us if they were interested and then we would just get them a little bit more engaged. So we would say, well, tell us, you know, what your favorite cheese is. 
And uh, gosh, I don't I don't want to knock anybody for like who's like watching this. But if they said, you know, Velveeta or Kraft Singles, we were like, see you. But if they said something really legit and it could have been from anywhere, we'd be like, okay, we're going to continue this conversation. And so um, then we would drag them in just a little bit deeper and we would say, write something to us about your um a cheese experience in your life so we could see what their writing was like. And again, they still didn't even really know what they were on the journey to do. They were just really intrigued and so passionate about cheese that they wanted to talk about it. But ultimately, so each time we kind of get asked a little bit more of them and the ones who stayed with us until the end, we checked out on what kind of storytellers they are, what kind of photos that they take, and yes, how much passion they had for Wisconsin. And from that, well, and actually I will back up. There is one more. We look for people who are social, not social in that they have hundreds of thousands of fans, but real world social. So there are people who are out going on hikes and you see them drinking beer at a party with their friends and they're in parks and they're doing yoga retreats and things like that. So people who are naturally inclined to share. And so those are the people that we went after. We made our first selection. We sent them all boxes of cheese. And and really the only stipulation was share these cheeses with your friends. (laughs) And so they did. And people just really felt compelled to talk about it. It was a very, very authentic movement. Um, And it worked for us. How many of these ambassadors are there around the country, around the world? Oh, gosh, now we've got hundreds. In fact, just last week, I heard we got 400 more because uh, somebody on a radio station had signed up for it and she started talking about it online. And people said, oh, that sounds amazing. Yes. But our initial for our initial push that we had, um, we had over a thousand people come back within like 24 hours and say that they wanted to get involved with our brand. So we've been less about making it big and more about keeping it small because I'd rather have, you know, a few hundred really passionate people saying the right stuff than thousands of people who are inauthentic or just want to get something for free. So the struggle has not been growing it. The struggle has been keeping it to a smaller size. And they like to kind of call it, it's it's kind of funny when I read the comments that they make, like, it's great to be in this secret society of cheese lovers. And so people are saying that our virtual parties have been the best part of the pandemic, which, you know, <laughs> I'll take it. Why not? Absolutely. No, it's fantastic. Now, listen, you're a a creative person. Your team sounds really creative. You won a bunch of awards with this restage. I want to talk to you about inspiration and benchmarking. Sure. So where do you go for inspiration, benchmarking? Do you look at other categories like yours, like the Swiss and watchmaking or California and winemaking? Do you look at brands that you admire? You know, if I'm the CMO of P&G, I kind of know where to go for benchmarking, the great brand building companies of the world, LVMH and Apple and Nike. Mm-hmm. What do you and your team, when you benchmark, when you seek inspiration, when you tell stories, what sorts of companies or categories or efforts are you looking at? 
Well, we certainly look outside the cheese category and we look outside the food category in general. We try really, really hard to inspire each other when we come together for team meetings. Sometimes I'll show them different award-winning campaigns. Sometimes we'll read about a crisis that's happened with another company and I'll call them in and say, okay, pretend like this is us. What would we do? And so we try to get our wheels spinning and try not to stay too focused on just our task list. And I think that that um, has gone a long way. We also have meetings where they can't pitch anything except for wild ideas. It's like, don't let's don't pitch anything that's easy to do. Let's pitch insane things. Um, we have a whiteboard in our area when we used to have an area that was together. And so we would pose questions of the week that people could think about and, and put them up there and put the answers up there. Then when we got back together, we'd look at all the answers and discuss them. Uh, I had a little bit of money left over from things that we had to cancel because of the pandemic. Uh, and so I, I had held a shark tank for them. And I said, everyone come to me and pitch your idea shark tank style of how we should spend this money. So just all kinds of fun things. I think keeping it real, um, keeping it fun and exciting, making sure that it's not just, like I said, about the task at hand, but it's more thinking broadly, keeping everyone's brains active and inspired. And I tell my folks all the time that um, I want them to be trailblazers. I didn't hire anybody to just stand in line and do what they're told. I hired them because they're incredibly passionate about things and I want them to fight for what they believe in and I want them to talk about cool stuff, even if it's not necessarily relevant to what we're doing. Uh, and I think that, you know, I built the right team. They're, they're quite amazing. I think it's just my favorite team that I've ever had. Tell me more about this team. You brought it up many times and you just talked about them beautifully in the last two minutes. Tell me about the team. You know, how is it structured? How many, how many direct reports do you have? What are your various departments within your group? Just tell, tell our listeners a bit more about what it's like on your team. Sure. Okay. So I have web and social and digital. So those are three people that work on um, our various social channels that we have, on the cool content like the commercials and things that we're producing, and then sort of on the technical stuff. I have one person who works on recipes, um, who does a fantastic job making sure that the, the cheese is the hero in every single thing that we do. Um, I have a, a fun PR and sponsorship team that we put together. Uh, the person who heads that up, well, actually two of the people on that team in a former life drove the Wienermobile. So uh, maybe maybe that's perfect the training. To, yes, maybe that's the secret to getting a good team member, someone who has driven the Wienermobile in a past life. Um, but they're fantastic. We I stole a few people from other areas of the company. I shamelessly stole when I see people who are super, when I see people who are kindred spirits, those people who are like dying to do more and challenge the status quo, we're naturally drawn to each other. And so I have been able to collect a few people from other departments. Um, one of those people started a program for us that was not about national PR because we realized that while national PR is great and, and this year we're, we've doubled our PR, which is kind of incredible, we're going to get about $40 million in uh, publicity this 
in this fiscal year. So that's really exciting. But we started realizing that there was a lot of value in local pr- programming across the country. So we don't we don't just focus on the national, the big hits, although, you know, we've been in the New York Times, we've been in the Wall Street Journal, we've been on the Today Show a couple of times this year. So we do have those big hits. But her job is to build um, media in different markets, everywhere from like Good Morning Sacramento to Good Day Philadelphia. And she works with presenters to go on morning talk shows because we find that people trust folks in their own area. So someone from their own hometown cooking, doing a cooking segment with Wisconsin cheese or showing people how to um, make a cheese board um, is just, it's more, it's more believable. It's, you can identify with folks more. It's been a very successful program for us. So I think a lot of the tiny building blocks that we have put into place have really, really done so, so much for us. We've had airings in all 50 states over the past year. What's your advice to others in unlocking creativity in their organizations? You sound like a great boss. You're supportive. You're challenging. You're fun. You, know, you push them to think big, to do things unconventional. So if you, you were to give three pieces of advice to another marketing leader, on how to unlock more creativity from their team, what would those be? Well, I really uh, definitely try to be all of those things and hopefully my team members would would agree with that. But I think what you've described is exactly what I aspire to be for sure. And I tell them all the time that I feel like you reach a certain place in your career where it's not about what you yourself can do, but what you can inspire others to do. And so in many cases, I will just, I, I try not to give them the answer And sometimes I actually know the answer, but I try not to give it to them because I want them to find their own solution to get there. Um, And so I think like that's a big that's like a really big piece of it. Um, And I also uh, I it's it's kind of funny because I tell them, I say like one day I, I do have like a lot of millennials that work for me. And I tell them, I said, here here is my ultimate goal. It's that one day you're going to do an interview like this one. And they when they ask you, what is the secret to your success? What made you who you are today? That you will say, because at one of my very first jobs, I worked for this crazy blonde. And she told me that I could do anything. And she promised me that I could move mountains. And so now I do. That's beautiful. Hey, listen, I want to, I want to turn the clock back on your career. Okay. And you've had a really, really interesting career path, right? You came out of college and, and graduate school a few years ago. You began your career in PR on the agency side. Then you went to the client side with some really interesting companies. Fiskers, which does scissors and gardening tools, et cetera. You went to Amway, which competes with P&G and others. Remington, you know, with the shaving products, et cetera. Then to a trade association as president. It's the word of mouth, word of mouth marketing association. I know you work with some ex-P&G people there. Then you came to the dairy farmers of Wisconsin. So with that really interesting jungle gym of a career, is there one defining experience that has shaped you as the leader you are today? Well, you know, I would say for me, well, for, first of all, you make me sound like I really get around. So that's that's shocking in itself. But um, I, I always say that uh, I don't work for money. I work for fun and for passion. <laughs> and so I've gone to places that have made my heart happy and where I've had fun things to do. I also don't like to go. I'm, I've never been attracted to places that 
everything was good. Like, so a big company where everything is going great and what I'm just supposed to do is not screw anything up. So I, I have never wanted to go to work for a brand where that was perfect and, and I was going to be insignificant. I like, I like to go and say, man, what, what are the hugest problems that you're having? And if they tell me like a terrible story with these insurmountable obstacles, I'm like, sign me up right now. And so I feel like that's a common thread that everything's had. And I think when it comes to finding um, solutions, I've always found that it is really about the people and about the fans and about building authentic connections. And so I've always looked for opportunities to do that. It doesn't always look the same. It certainly isn't a one size fits all type of a process or program. Um, but I, I always, always drag some sort of community into it. And usually in a, in a different way than a lot of brands do. When your CEO hired you about four years ago, and you knew the CEO before you came into this job, what was the brief? What did he say to you when you came in? What, what was the challenge? You said you don't like to join you know, brands that don't have a big ambition or that do not have a challenge. So what was that brief to you? He literally said to me, I will give you a blank canvas that you can paint in any beautiful way that you want. And I said, man, that is irresistible. <laughs> it is irresistible. And it also didn't hurt that at the time I was commuting back and forth to Chicago. And then I found out that that office was about three minutes from my house. So I went from a three hour commute to a three minute commute. So that was kind of fun as well. Um, and then I think also just the, the, the challenge to help the dairy farmers, it just seems bigger than any product or any company because it's about real families. About 95% of the dairy farms in Wisconsin are family owned. And so I, I couldn't resist that challenge. Uh, a lot of the things that you talked about, you can see I did things that were completely different. A lot of people play within the same industry, have virtually the same role. And I kind of thought, hmm, how would, it, how would it be to be in the craft industry for a while? And how would it be to go over to direct sales? And how would it be, um, now that I've done all these cool things and, and won a lot of awards myself, how would it be to lead a trade organization and help empower other marketers to do that? Um, the interesting thing about that, because I, I did, I loved my time at the Word of Mouth Marketing Association, and I got to know some of the best marketers in the world. I felt like I was truly at the center of the marketing universe with all the best case studies served up to me daily on a silver platter, which I thought was my ultimate fantasy um, until I said, you know what? They're all doing that great stuff, and I'm just talking about it. <laughs> I want to have something to own again. And so, uh, you know. As, as life often does, it worked out really, really well for me when Chad gave me a call and, and said, hey, would you consider doing this with me? Um, he is one of the best leaders that I have ever worked for. And certainly a lot of uh, who I am and, and how I lead comes from him. He's a huge believer in, in culture. He is extremely hardworking. He is so, so authentic, um, very clear about his strategy and what he's trying to do, very appreciative of the efforts of others, um, hard when he needs to be for certain, which is also a really good quality in a leader. Um, but I I couldn't imagine saying no to him because he is he's quite quite wonderful. And I knew that we were going to be able to accomplish some some great things. Is this the most purpose-driven organization you've been a part of? Oh, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. 
And when you talk about the purpose, how do you describe it to your 20-year-olds in your home? That we exist to be tireless advocates for Wisconsin's hardworking dairy farmers and cheesemakers. I mean, that's that's the best way, I think, to, the, to describe it. That'll get you out of bed. <laughs> yes, it will. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So I want to end this wonderful conversation with a curiosity round, where I'm going to ask your quick opinion on a variety of issues, leadership issues, marketing issues, a bunch of things. It's my favorite part of the podcast. Okay. The first one's a really tough one. What is a cheese curd and why is it so popular in Wisconsin? (laughs) I spent a lot of time in Madison. I've had a lot of cheese curds. Yes. I'm not even sure I can describe them. Right. Well, when you make a cheese like a cheddar, the process starts with um, separating the, the um, well, I wouldn't even go back that far, but <laughs> I won't describe the entire process, but the curd is part of the process. And so when you make the cheddar, you take all of those curds and you press them together in a block. Um, and then you can age the cheese for up to 20 years. The good thing about the cheese curd is that you immediately can take it out, salt it, and, and sell it all over the, the state, like immediately. And when you get a really good, delicious, wonderful, fresh cheese curd, it squeaks and that is the thing that most people can't. How is a food squeaky and why is that good? So that is something that uh, I just, I'm not articulate enough to describe. You have to experience it for yourself. You just made me hungry. <laughs> All right. <laughs> What's a brand right now that's indispensable to you? Mm, a brand right now that is indispensable to me. Well, I was pretty darn happy when Starbucks opened back up. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, I was immediately to there to get my, my green tea latte. <laughs> What are you reading or listening to or watching that's really interesting for you these days? Is there a book, a podcast, a series? Oh, the thing that stands out in my mind, though, of course, is the one that everybody's watching, which is The Tiger King. I'm so embarrassed to say that. <laughs> so you watched it all with your 20-year-olds? Uh, yes. That was like one of our thi- one of our family things was to come down and watch that. So like that is that like definitely a more embarrassing thing. So, I want to talk all about all the amazing like marketing books that I've had time to read and all of that and what a huge fan I am of some of those iconic authors. I think some of the great blogs that I've had a chance to read. But yeah, Tiger King is probably just because it's such a weird thing for me to watch. It's probably the thing that sticks out. I've been binging dead to me. It's just so good. Oh, I watched that one too. Yeah. Yeah. That's so a good, good one. Who has been the largest inspiration in your life? Um, from a business perspective, I'm going to have to go with my current CEO that I've known for over a decade for the reasons that I told you earlier today. Where did you meet your CEO? I met him when I originally applied for the job at Fiskars. He interviewed me and, uh, yeah, just uh, taught me a lot about business and um, collaboration and teamwork and, um, and you know, again, being a trailblazer. I think he calls it rock stars, though. Rock stars, good, yeah. What's your greatest passion outside work? Is it sewing? 
Uh, sewing cooking. is a big one. I think probably cooking is, is such a great expression of love because that really brings people together. Sewing maybe is more for me to appreciate, but I think a good meal where you just create something delicious and just bring in friends and family, um, nothing can beat that. What's something I could not find out about you on the internet? Mm, gosh, there's a lot out there because I am an extremely open person. Oh my gosh. Let me think about that. Uh, well, one thing I would tell you is that even though we have one dog currently in the house, we have three dogs. I am a huge dog lover. <laughs> you might be able to find that out on the internet, but yeah. Three kids and three dogs. That sounds fun. It's a wild house right now, for sure, for sure. One day I um, uh, brought, I, I do tend to bring home a lot of strays as well. So much to my husband's dismay as well. But um, yeah, I have been known. I remember one time I was coming back from a wedding that he couldn't go to because he was babysitting and I almost hit something on the road. And I was like, what is that animal? And stupid me, of course, I opened the car door. I don't know why. It was a pouring rain. I, I just pulled off of the road. Um, and all of a sudden this little dog came and like jumped up in my lap. So I walked in the back door of my house and my husband said, did you bring food? I said, well, I have good news and bad news. Yes, I brought food, but I also found this dog. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Very common occurrence. <laughs> did you keep the dog or find a home for it? You kept it. That was a pretty incredible story because uh, I found the dog on the weekend during the wedding and we figured at, at this time there was not an internet that you could like just start <laughs> looking for stuff and uh, the shelters weren't open on the weekend. So we had to wait for a newspaper ad to come out on Tuesday as the soonest that that could come out. And I did see a man who had posted that he was missing his dog, that it had gone missing in a, in a rainstorm. And so I called him and I said, hey, what's your dog's name? And he said, Tuji. And I said, Tuji. And immediately that dog came running over and I said, hey, I have your dog. And so he came over and he's had this long conversation with us. He sat down with family and he said that he was engaged to a woman and that she had these two little dogs who were siblings um, and that she had been killed in an, in an automobile accident last month. And that all he had left of her were these two dogs. And ever since that one had gone missing, the other one had not stopped crying. And so then he started crying when we gave him back his dog. So we were all very glad that I did not leave his dog out on that abandoned road to uh, get hit by a oh car. Oh, my. What a <laughs> yeah, story. That was a story. Wow. I want to end on two questions. One, what is your special gift as a leader? Um, I think my special gift as a leader is probably um, inspiring others because I do get so excited for other people to do well. I do see all kinds of possibilities in, uh, in people and in programs. And so I think that that's probably the word that everyone on my team would use to um, describe me as inspirational. <laughs> what are you working on as a leader? Uh, working on um, just making sure that we have a lot of cross-department collaboration and that when one person does something that they don't keep it to themselves, that you, we're able to say, well, how could we use that over here? How could we use it over there? And so putting all projects together for the common good. And so we're constantly struggling with um, how we get better at that. Suzanne, last question. Who would you love to see or hear on the CMO podcast, who would be interesting, inspiring for you? 
I would love to hear from Josh, the CMO at Comedy Central. There are some great stories about um, how comedy affects people's lives and why they do what they do that nobody really recognizes. So I think even more from the entertainment world would be really, really exciting. Suzanne, I love this chat. You've made me, you've inspired me. You've made me hungry for cheese. Thanks so much for this opportunity. We love it too. And I can definitely hook you up with some cheese curds. Don't worry. Okay, great. That was my conversation with Suzanne Fanning. What I loved about this one, this woman is simply a bundle of positive energy. She is such a good boss. She talked about her team over and over and what she does to elicit fun, creativity, ideas, challenges. She loves challenges, she loves crises, she doesn't like the status quo, she loves to be a turnaround artist, she's had an amazing jungle gym career, and she is simply an inspirational woman. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.